All right, welcome to This Month in Real Estate Investing. In this episode, we'll be covering a variety of news items, including U.S. office market may still have room to fall. Kevin O'Leary won't invest in New York after Trump fraud ruling. And people buying Amazon tiny homes for $20,000. Don't forget, you can join the live conversation with your thoughts and questions on Facebook and YouTube during the show. And all this and more on this episode of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Let's start the show. We're back. Uh, I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe, secure returns through our unique time-tested hybrid investing model. Go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more and add the www if it doesn't pop up for you. If you're watching live, feel free to comment and ask questions. Our guests today, we, uh, we had Paul Beats drop out, had a family emergency. Uh, we're still waiting for Joe Bodek to come back on. We had a little glitch, and uh, we're re-recording here, and uh, we lost Joe. So Shannon Robnett and I are on, and we're going to dive into the news. So um, if Joe jumps back on, we'll we'll have him introduce himself. But in the meantime, Shannon, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, share your background and the types of investing you focus on. Yeah, so my name is Shannon Robnett. I grew up in a real estate family. My father was a builder and developer, um, mostly multi or mostly single family homes, and then later in his career did a lot of industrial. Uh, my mother was a third generation real estate broker. I got my license. Uh, my son has his, so five generations of real estate in our family. Um, and I grew up at the table. Uh, dining room table every night, hearing about the deals my parents were doing. And and it really sounded like a live track of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And when I decided college wasn't for me, I went out, started my businesses in 1999, began immediately to build uh, single family homes, quickly realized that homeowners really weren't my flavor. I didn't really care for that and shifted my business into the commercial arena. From there, we did everything from police stations to gymnasiums, city halls to fire stations, uh, and did a lot of industrial, some multifamily. Over the years, I've developed about $450 million worth of commercial real estate. And currently, we've got about $120 million under construction and own and manage properties from Washington to Florida. Fantastic. I am super stoked to have you on. This is going to be great. Um, all right, so let's dive into the news from CBS News. Company behind controversial real estate deal facing bankruptcy and legal action in Illinois. So uh, just a little brief summary. So MV Realty was offering sellers money up front, some amount of cash. It's not, not clear how much cash. Um, if, if anybody's watching this and can Google it and find out how much they were offering, um, throw it in the chat. I'm, I'm 
curious, but anyway, they uh, they are filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and they've got some lawsuits um, going on because some of these sellers didn't really realize what they were signing or, or conveniently forgot, you know, sometimes that happens. So um, they, uh, they had signed a thing giving a 40-year commitment and a 3% early termination fee. Um, so that's, that's the scoop. Shannon, you want to jump in on that? You know, I think there's there's a couple of red flags that stick out, but I, I really kind of want to start this by saying buyer beware. You know, the reality is if you do not understand what you are signing, if it's a simple single-page document, if it's a multi-page document, whatever it is, if you do not understand it, find someone that's qualified to give you that explanation. $500 for an attorney to interpret this for you and tell you what it is, not legal zoom, not, you know, anything like that, but a real attorney is going to look cheap in comparison to what you might find yourself in later. Then if we want to break this down, if anybody's offering to pay you to sign something, nothing is free boys and girls. So you need to remember that if you're getting paid to sign something, there's something in there. They want you to look past by getting this check. You're, you're, you're going to read through it real quick. You're going to skim it. You're going to sign it. And then they're going to give you something for just doing that. I mean, this sounds like a timeshare pitch, right? Then you look at the 40-year commitment. You're tied to it, a cancellation fee. Uh, James, you're, you're a realtor. I mean, how many times yeah. do you have cancellation fees in your contracts? Um. Sorry, I missed that. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to get Joe I mean, back in. Here. We're talking about cancellations and contracts. I mean, if you're a realtor, I, I get it. You've got marketing expenses. You've got some of those things that are non-recoverable, but you're there for your performance for your client, right? Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing that, that uh, if you cannot cancel the contract or if you do, you get faced with a 3% full commission, essentially uh, one side of the commission for that cancellation, that should be another huge red flag because yeah. it, time that you're signing it, you don't know what life's going to hold. I mean, maybe for the reasons that you're selling just evaporate. You were going to move for a job. All of a sudden, the, the offer's rescinded. You now no longer want to sign, and somebody's going to hold you to that contract, not only for a normal term. I mean, typically, a real estate sales uh, or a, uh, a buyer's represent, seller's representation will usually last six months to a year. Yep. Uh, but it, it's cancelable at any time with written notice, right? And so when you start to look at this, if you'll break that down and look at it and go, uh, why would I want to sign this and obligate myself to the next five years, 10 years, 40 years, let alone six months to be stuck with someone that may or may not perform? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Looking at that 3%, like, you know, usually there's earnest money on, on the buyer side and, you know, we do maybe one or two percent at the most, uh, so it's it's lower, right? Yeah. Um, buyers have a lot more opportunities to get out of a contract than a seller. There's that too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Buyer beware. Go ask your real estate agent what they think, but probably a good idea to get that attorney involved, since especially since this is not a, a normal contract. You know, we've, we've, as real estate agents, we have pre-written contracts that we're able to fill in and help our, our clients fill in 
um, but we're not able to write extra stuff. We can add some, a few things, but it, it becomes risky. So it's always good to have an attorney jump in with any kind of specific questions like that. So, yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, here we send Joe another link. It's the same one. I don't know. Why I can't get in. Uh, anyway, let's let's jump to the next article uh, from Fox Business. Real estate fraud risk is on the rise and victims are sounding the alarm. They're saying one in 20 Americans are affected, um, at least in the last three years, by uh, some fraud. And, and what they're talking about, I think, mainly from what I read, is um, earnest money going through uh, an escrow company. Um, people are intercepting and fraudulently creating emails basically that uh, look like a real email from, from the title company and people are sending their money to the wrong people, to scammers. Oh, and we have Joe back. Oh, awesome. Joe finally got the right, finally got the right link. <laughs> I, I kept sending the same one. I don't <laughs> whatever happened. But, but we're ha my computer, my computer just said, nah, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> Until that last one. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that you're back, Joe, um, why don't you introduce yourself, and then we'll we'll jump back into uh, the article we were just talking about about fraud. Oh, okay. Uh, very quickly, my name's Joe Bodak. Uh, I'm a real estate investor and mentor coach. I have background. I've uh, been in business since 1971, so we're a little bit ahead of 50 years there, and. Um, been in both conventional real estate, where I um, my my dad was a, uh, a, a big builder back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, he was one of the largest builders of residential homes. If you're familiar with uh, um, uh, split level homes, uh, he's a guy that made him famous. So you can you can say thanks to him and um, work with him. He was my first mentor. I learned how to run apartment complexes and develop ground and build houses and all that good stuff. And then about around 1994, I went into creative real estate, uh, things like uh, lease options and subject to and owner financing. I did that uh, as an investor for, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And about the last 15, 12, 15 years, I've been mentoring students on creative real estate. And that's, uh, that's my background. Fantastic. We're happy to have you on, both of you guys heavy hitters with a, a long list of accomplishments. So it's great. All right, let's get back to the news. So um, just to catch you up, Joe, we're talking about the uh, fraud risk that's on the rise with um, mainly earnest money going through escrow companies that are getting snagged out from under people. So, Well, and to clarify that a little bit, James, it said that the median uh, fraud amount was $70,000. So that would oh. be a lot more than the earnest money. That is um, a good point. So if you're looking at, you know, $70,000, I mean, I know uh, we've, we've all heard the stories of people uh, going to close and they get an email from the title company that says, hey, please wire your funds here. The email looks very official. In fact, it's probably a very, very good fake of what the title company sent out. But, you know, uh, an easy way to do that is to call and confirm. Uh, another easy way to do that is to know what that closing amount is a couple days before closing. Go to the title company with a check, a good old-fashioned bankable check. 
that they can run through their system. They can verify the funds. But with the median loss, and it says there's over $440 million uh, in one single year that people lost, taking an hour out of your day to go do that isn't isn't that big of a deal when it comes to protecting your hard-earned money. Yeah, 100%. You know, we, we talked about this before, too. Uh, blockchain may alleviate a lot of these uh, stressful situations if they can implement that into the, the whole escrow process and, and money transfer. Yeah, you know, the thing about blockchain technology is it brings the all of the past forward. And if you think about title chain, you know, title chain is that it, it goes back in history, identifies all the things and all the uh, all the people that had owned it before back when it was a full section and back when it, you know, ties it back through survey and all that kind of stuff. Title insurance would now, you know, what that does is that ensures that everything in the past is all settled and, and there's no there's no issues with it. But you can get all of that on blockchain technology. We're not talking about crypto. We're not talking about meme coins. We're talking about the technology underneath it all that allows you to create that and then move that information from one block of information to the no the, the next so that all that history goes with it. Yeah, great point. Joe, you have anything to add to that? Um, I come back to what I've always said. Uh, all of this stuff is very, uh, the way that Shang explained it is wonderful um, and important. Uh, but, you know, myself, for myself, I'm, I'm, real estate, I'll go with you all day long, pretty much. Um, when it comes to the methodologies of fraud out there today, it's unbelievable. Uh, it was, I think, a lot harder to commit the fraud back in the day than it is today, obviously, for all the apparent reasons. So I, I always go back to uh, uh, what I uh, what I practice myself, since I don't know a whole lot about a whole lot of things that I probably should. I find, you know, if an escrow payment has to be made, um, I have an attorney do it. I mean, I'd rather have somebody who knows what they're doing that's on my on my side and understands what's going on. Go ahead and do it, and then I, you know. If anything goes wrong, I can go after him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so at least I got somebody there that knows what they're doing. Uh, I would even have him deliver the check however he wants to do it. Um, because today, to me, today, for I mean, this, this computer I'm on right now, if my brother-in-law, who's an electrical engineer, who's my sidekick, because he's a guy that taught me how to turn a computer on. Right. And I didn't grow up with him. Okay, the kids today, they grew up with him. So the things that Shannon are mentioning are easy for them because they grew up with the, in this in this environment. Um, I didn't. I mean, if you look at my office here, my monitor, it's full of, of um, uh, what do you call it? These things here. These, uh, sticky notes. Yeah. Sticky I knew notes. exactly I mean, what you were going to say, Joe. I'm, ri I'm right <laughs> in between that. So yeah, I got to. I got to. I mean, that's, I could be using my phone or my computer, all these great things that we have to keep track of. No, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it's just I'm old. It's ingrained. So I, I just tend to have somebody watch my back. That's that's the easiest thing for me to do. Well, the other thing, Joe, that you mentioned, I mean, when you bring up attorneys, you know, people kind of cringe. They go, oh, my gosh, that's going to cost me five hundred dollars or whatever. Here's the thing you got to realize about an attorney. An attorney has errors and omissions insurance. You mm -hmm. don't. So if there is an error and he wires it to a fraudulent uh, address, he's got insurance for that. 
right? That's right. Uh, so, so paying that $500 is buying insurance to make sure that it happens properly, that there is someone that is knowledgeable in that. Uh, and, you know, we can do anything we want on the planet. We can change our own tires. Uh, we, we can build our own airplanes. We can, you know, we can do anything we want, but is it beneficial and isn't it better to have somebody else? I would rather have uh, a professionally built airplane. I would rather have my toilet replaced by a professional plumber. Uh, those are the kind of things that we pay for that expertise. And attorneys, Joe, you're right. They're no different and they're worth it. Yeah, yeah. I, I look, they're worth every penny of it because it's going to get you in the butt down that road and it's going to cost you 18 times what it was that you would have spent on that attorney. So I think people, should, particularly in this day and age, yeah. I, I would say, you know, when I was younger, it was a little different. You, you had to be face to face. You couldn't do anything but be face to face. So, okay, maybe you didn't need one as much. But today, with how they want you to pay stuff and, you know, over the Internet and, and you know, send, send me this and send me that and without, you know, any backup, as, as Shannon says, of course, the attorneys are insured for it. So, yeah, 500 bucks is not a little bit of money, but it can cost you a whole lot more. Forget the aggravation that it'll cost you, let alone the money. So yeah. that's just my view. If I'm going to, and it pretty much goes to anything that I do. If, if, if I'm not schooled in it, I find somebody that is, and I'm willing to pay for it. Yep. Well, we, we've got another article. I think we're going to skip for sake of time, but... Uh, there was a couple that lost $160,000. I'm sure, you know, that was their life yeah. savings. Yeah. If they and were that's tragic, back. you know, it's yeah. tragic and preventable. Yeah. Yeah. $500. They would have. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's my, that's my only point. I mean, to the, yeah, buyer beware is an old, old, old term, man. It outdates you and outdates me as old as I am. <laughs> and that's what you have to be today. Um, it's just, it's so much easier for them to get get you today than than it was in the past. At least I think so. I can, I, I don't think I'm wrong about that. You know. Yep, yep. Well, hey, let's jump to the next article um, from United States real estate investor. Black American housing affordability crisis hits record high. One point seven trillion to fix three hundred year gap. So they they did a report on this and uh, are kind of pinpointing financial literacy, affordable housing access, and they're earmarking um, millions of affordable housing units in, in some markets, so. Um, you know, I think this is a very important thing and I think like a, a lot of things, it comes down to education. Um, financial literacy is not a subject that is well taught it's available. There's lots and lots of information online about financial literacy, but it's not something that's taught. And if you don't wind up knowing it uh, or being taught it in school, uh, there's, there's a real likelihood that you won't adapt it into your life. And I think that it needs to, I think that there's an awesome opportunity here to incentivize people to get literate and then get into uh, low-income housing, get a start. I, I think it's very imperative that we empower people with the right information because just giving them uh, the low-income housing doesn't fix the problem. It, it, it 
maybe it raises them up a level on the ladder, but they stop at that point. And this isn't a, a comment based on uh, simply just race. It's it's geographical. Um, it's and, and it's and it's generational. Um, if you don't know it, how are your children going to know it? And your children's children. I think that we need to look at the financial literacy problem that is happening in America. Um, and we need to fix it with education. I know for a fact, uh, or I hypothesize, I guess I should say, that the that the crisis that happened globally in 2008 by the real estate meltdown could have been avoided with more education if homeowners and home buyers were more sophisticated and understood the negatively amortizing loans that they were buying. If if we'd have been watching some of that and had a lot of that uh, in place that education would have pointed out what this problem can cause. You're going to get a cheap rate now. Uh, you're only paying part of it. It's going to go on the back end of your mortgage. At some point, your house could possibly be uh, worth less than you owe on it. All of those kinds of things come back to basic financial literacy. And we see it. We see it all over. And I think that that I think that I really agree with this article, especially if it continues to include that very, very important cornerstone of education. Yeah. As as a real estate agent myself, a lot of my job is just educating people um, on the transaction side of it, but also on the lending side, which, you know, <laughs> the 08 crisis <clears throat> was caused. So um, kind of helping them understand, even if the lender is willing to give you that money, it's not maybe in your best interest. And and, and we run into that too. So like Toby Hansen, who's running the show here in the background, he's my business partner and we, we focus on lease options, rent to own. So we screen a lot of people that were told no by the banks for a reason, but we're also looking at them kind of from the same, same view as a lender. Um, and I'm always keeping in the front of my mind the, the the good things like people want to get in a home right we can help them but it might not be the best situation for them so I'm always giving them advice on and trying to protect them um, in some different ways I don't need to get into the details of that um, but you know they they come to us uneducated and we need to to educate them and yeah, you know, James, I think you hit on a point here that's uh, important in creative real estate, lease options being one of my favorites. Um, yeah. We do the same thing. I do the same thing that you're talking about. You've got to educate these people to how this thing works, um, the downsides, the, the upsides, side sides and everything, um, which I don't think is done out there. I mean, I, I think that's why a lot of people get in trouble. Um, with regard to this article we're talking about, again, as Shannon said, because of education. And I think a lot of people uh, are looking to the, you know, they look at the government and go, oh, you know, they they got laws about this stuff. You know, all this stuff, bad stuff can be legislated out. But I think it was Shannon that mentioned that, um, you know, it's all new. So the minute they make a new law, guess what the, the bad guys do? Okay, right. they just find a way to get around it. All right, and so without the education, I, I, I would have to agree with what Shannon said. Without the education, they're they're kind of stumbling around, and and 
I'm like you, James. You know, we you in creative real estate, you really have to educate them to what's going on because it's it's not traditional. It's not go to the bank, borrow the money, you know, move in the house. Doesn't work that way. Um, so I, I would have to agree that education is 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 the way to get it done because they're not going to legislate you out of trouble. Well, the other thing too, guys, if you think about the education piece, you know, um, you're going to see people that are looking to get in a house, but once they receive the financial education, maybe they would realize that maybe they don't need the new couch that they can get 12 months, same as cash on. Maybe they don't need to upgrade the car right now because the home becomes the priority. And with that financial education, they may make less purchases that are going to get in the way of them mm -hmm. actually getting the home that they want. There's going to still be people that put the priority on having the nice couch, the big TV, the nice vacations, the cars, the, those kinds of things. But those that really want the house will have the education to put behind that, that they can work toward their goal because they now understand how to get there, how to monitor their credit score, how to take care of those things, how to pay their uh, their obligations and not over obligate themselves because uh, there's so many places you can go that they will uh, help you get yourself into debt that you'll never get out of. You go to the car lot, they'll help you get into a car you can't afford. Uh, go to the furniture mm -hmm. store, uh, 90 days, same as cash. After that, you could be in trouble. And so a, a lot of that educational piece will actually help them become more homeowners uh, and, and do it in a way that is sustainable that then they can begin that real estate journey and grow their wealth through that uh, real estate journey. Yep, love it. Let's jump to the next uh, article from Wealth Management, why some investors are bullish on private real estate. We're talking about valuations adjusting down due to higher interest rates and tighter debt availability. Well, I mean, let's look at supply and demand. You know, when we went through the, the crisis in 08, we started to build up a backlog. And I think it peaked somewhere around seven to nine million housing uh, units in America that we were not producing and we were short through that time period. And we've never really caught up. And so here we are. Uh, low interest rates have have made it uh, easy to buy over the last couple of years. And as they've risen, they're now back up at a 6%, 6.5%. But Joe and I can remember when uh, a really screaming deal was 9% uh, to borrow money from the bank. And now you have the same shortage, which you go back to the laws of supply and demand. And if there's not very many of them, they become rare. They hold their value better much like collectibles. And so here you have a shortage in the housing supply. We've also seen on our side in the development space, about 65% of the projects that were slated to begin in 23 didn't get started because mm -hmm. of the rising interest rates. They no longer penciled at the price point. And so one of two things has to happen. Either people need to get accustomed to where things are at right now, which I think people are wrapping their head around that. Um, or wages need to come up to the point that people can then begin to buy because I don't think with the lack of supply, we're going to see prices come down anytime soon. So I think I would agree. I'm still very, very bullish on the, the values holding. Um, I don't know that I'm extremely bullish on prices rising like they did in 18, 19, 20, but I do think that values are going to hold and we're going to see 
maybe a new floor created here where people get used to the fact that maybe it is a $300,000 house and maybe it is a 7% interest rate and that's just where we get started and, and that's going to become the new norm. I know that historically yeah. then wages will chase that, uh, but right now we're kind of at that adjustment point. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with what Shannon said. I, I think the alternatives today are creative real estate. Um, my my per, I like it. I do it. That's why I mention it. Um, it does afford. I, I mean, I put a lot of people in houses uh, over the years that could not afford, no matter what the interest rate was. Okay, yeah. uh, they were upper mobile. They you know uh, didn't didn't couldn't quite do it at the bank uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but they made, you know, made enough income to afford what we could do for them. Um, so that is an alternative that's out there for people. Again, you know, they have to be dealing with somebody to educate them to what kind of deal you're going to do, you know, an owner financing and that type of thing. Uh, but it is an alternative that, that, that I would, that I would uh, put out there for people that are looking for a home that can't get into it conven uh, conventionally. Um, James, as you know, you, I'm sure you've put a lot of people in homes. It's just a matter of, um, of educating them and making sure the big thing, of course, is making sure that they can follow through. That, that's the big thing. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to put somebody in a home. Uh, there's predators out there and they'll, you know, they'll take that upfront money and put them in the home knowing full well that they're not going to be able to, you know, follow through on it. But, yeah. um, I think it's a good alternative to what's going on in the market, you know, today. Just, it works for a lot of people. That's the only, the only way I can put it. Yeah. Hey, are you guys good to go to the top of the hour? Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I know Toby has a hard stop. So um, let's take a break to learn about one of our sponsors. Attention investors. Are you happy with your current returns? Would you be interested in a safe, secure, low-risk, high-return investment in real estate? And what if you never had to deal with another rehab, bad tenant, or lousy property manager? Introducing an innovative investing approach that gives new and sophisticated investors a higher ROI with more protection than traditional methods. We've created a blue ocean investing strategy by combining the tried-and-true models of fix and flip with buy and hold, and have found a way to keep the benefits of both while eliminating the drawbacks. Hybrid real estate investing is a better way to invest that allows busy professionals to replace their salary, build passive wealth, reap huge tax benefits, and fund the retirement with income-producing real estate without the usual risks and headaches. HybridRealEstateInvesting.com, the best risk-adjusted returns in single-family real estate. All right, let's get back to the news from Business Insider. Commercial real estate is in big trouble, and the problems may have major financial fallout. Uh, we talk about this, especially in the office space uh, on this show every month <laughs> recently. Uh, and I'm sure you guys can, can jump in. Just want to point out billionaire investor Barry Sternleaked predicts staggering losses, particularly in office properties. Um, and they also mentioned having global effects, which um, I can't really speak to, but what do you guys think? Joe, you want to go first? 
No, you go ahead. This is your this is your Ballywick, uh, Shannon. <laughs> well, I think that uh, you know this is where national statistics can kind of get off the rails. I think that there are a lot of markets that are struggling, and I think that there is a lot of uh, multifamily uh, that also fits in that commercial space that are, is struggling because of the type of financing that got placed on it. A lot of multifamily came in with the fix and flip mentality, or, or the the uh, the value add mentality, if you will. They were they were buying something that hadn't been rehabbed in 10 or 15 years. They were putting new deck chairs by the pool. They were putting a new uh, coat of paint on it, renaming it from the Tropicana to the Three Coconuts, going to raise the rent a couple hundred bucks. And they used bridge financing for that acquisition uh, and, and the, you know, the rehab. And then with interest rates rising, they may have executed on their business plan perfectly, but with the interest rates rising, they, they can no longer service the debt. There's something in commercial real estate called DSCR, which is the debt service coverage ratio. And that's typically set at about 1.25%, uh, which means that if your payment is $10,000, you have to have net of expenses 125% of that or $12,500 in free cash flow from your rents after your expenses. And a lot of people are in trouble because interest rates have risen. So that means they've either got to inject more capital or they've got to sell. As interest rates have risen, so have cap rates. So now the value is less because the financeability is more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so in all of that, it's creating a bit of a perfect storm just in the multifamily sector. You take the office sector, we had COVID, we had everybody working from home. There's a lot of talk about uh, coming back to work. Uh, so the work from home is is kind of winding down, but uh, there there is a lot of vacancy, and you're seeing where that can be problematic in certain markets that had huge office inventories. In some of the particular markets that we work in, we're actually seeing nice and tight uh, office markets that are allowing for uh, continued growth and and but lenders want to step away from it. So when it's hard to finance, it's hard to sell unless you get creative. And Joe, this is where I actually, the office that I'm in currently, I bought uh, two and a half years ago on creative financing for all those reasons. The banks really didn't want to finance it. It was right in the middle of COVID. The gentleman wanted their purchase price. I agreed to their purchase price if they carried the note at a, at a reasonable mm -hmm. rate. And uh, we got the deal done. We put our 20% down. We've gone through. We've made massive improvements to it. We've re-tenitized it. Uh, and now the bu building is of value that we can then do a refinance and pull our cash back out uh, and get our investors paid back and then begin to harvest that cash flow. But I think this comes back down to being diligent in identifying the markets you want to be in and then identifying the products that are needed in that market. Uh, I also read an article the other day that said that uh, major downtown San Francisco skyscrapers, uh, office skyscrapers, were selling at two hundred to three hundred dollars a foot, and they were previously selling three to four years ago for twelve hundred dollars a foot. So a massive crash is happening there. Uh, but I know that the laws of supply and demand and economics they will be repurposed. Whether that's coming in with cheap rent to attract people, whether that's converting them to multifamily whether that's some sort of uh, other program that's going to happen, those buildings will live again. It's just at what price point are they going to get traded and then what's going to happen based on that price point. So there is a reset coming for sure. 
Uh, but that comes back down to knowing your markets, knowing the products that are needed in that market before you go in there and, and start purchasing stuff. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with uh, Shannon. Uh, it's not you know my forte. Uh, I I work pretty much residential, but the most important thing that he said and what he did was that he made the owner the bank. He did he did you know uh, owner financing and was able to move forward. Um, to me, that's the alternative. So. Um, Again, it's not my forte. I would have to agree with everything everything that he said. Uh, but any time that you can make the do an owner finance deal and make the owner the bank, you're going to be better off. First of all, if anything should go wrong, you're dealing with an owner, not a bank. And mm -hmm. any day of the week, I'd rather deal with an owner if I have to renegotiate or whatever I have to do. It's a whole lot easier when you're dealing with an owner to make that uh, work out so everybody's happy. When you're dealing with a bank, not so much. So, um, it's a good alternative um, that I think people should, uh, in the commercial space or in the residential space, uh, ought to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, hey, let's jump to the next news item from Housing Wire. Nevada real estate firms hit with second commission lawsuits. If you're in the, the residential world like I am, um, <laughs> this keeps rearing its ugly head multiple different lawsuits going on and I'd say <clears throat> a lot of misunderstandings on all sides of how this all really works um, do you guys have any comments on this from your side I'm just reading the article here yeah yeah so there's lawsuits with the National Association of Realtors claiming collusion to inflate commissions artificially. So I, I don't think this is new. I, I could be wrong, but I seem to remember seeing this type of article years ago more than mm -hmm. once. Um, mm -hmm. it, realtors are always seem to get uh, in trouble with the idea that they're colluding. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one, to be honest with you. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm Shannon probably does. Well, I've been in real estate uh, my whole life, and I've got a, a family history there. But, you know, I, I think that the idea that realtors are colluding, um, you know, James, as you know, there's a lot of inner office collaboration. You may have a seller, uh, Susie down the hall's got a buyer. You're talking about uh, in the in the, in your agent meeting, you know who's got what coming. Maybe you've got a deal done before it's done, but isn't that good sales? And I think a lot of times people think that real estate, being a real estate agent, is easy money. I've watched uh, that come and go. Uh, when I, uh, you know, grew up, I mean, an average listing time was six months from the time the house was listed till it was sold. That changed in 18, 19, 20. Those were uh, things where you had multiple offers and all this kind of stuff. And I think that, again, back to some a point we'd made earlier in the show about education. I think if there was more education, both for realtors, there's a lot of education, a lot of continuing ed that's required, but for buyers and sellers on, on how this transaction works, the opportunity for agents to network in the office, network with other agents, send it out to their people, 
to see if they can't work with somebody they like. Um, so I don't, I don't have, I, I don't know the facts on this case, but I know that again, more education in a lot of these scenarios would probably help people. But like Joe said, you know, people are real quick to whip out a lawyer uh, and, you know, litigate stuff. But again, uh, maybe it was something to look at prior to signing some, some of those documents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we could go down the rabbit hole here with the, the general public thinks, you know, real estate agents are overpaid. Um, they don't have any clue. Like I had no clue until I got licensed, how much goes into it, this business. And there's a reason a high, high percentage of people that get licensed fail and get out of the business. It's happening right now. Thousands of real estate agents having to go back and figure something out else out. Um, uh, you know, James, I think one of the problems is, is that you've got a lot of part-time, part-time realtors. Okay. True. And um, they're supposed to get to their education. And I don't know whether they do or not, but they don't get enough practical experience out there. Okay. Cause they're not doing enough deals. Yeah. I mean, I was a realtor in another life a while <laughs> ago and you know, we'd have meetings where a whole lot of people weren't there. Yeah. Okay? And you know, they're, they're supposed to be there to learn what's going on. They're, they're, well, because it, they're it, part-time, part-time, which is okay. But if you've got to keep up with what's going on, it's difficult when you don't pay a lot of attention to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. What were you going to say? Not real you know, the other thing too, I think this, you know. go ahead. I'm sorry, Sharon. Well, a good agent's definitely worth their salt. You know, is somebody yeah. that gets your house sold, that's what you pay them to do. The faster they get it done, they make more money per hour. But the reality is, I think the statistic is upwards of 70% of people that get licensed as a realtor never actually do a transaction, right? Yeah. So they get in with yeah, this but, illusion that it's easy money, but there's a lot yeah. that goes into it. There's a lot of networking. There's a lot of understanding. You've got to get in front of buyers. You've got to have a, a cachet of sellers. You've got to have these things at your disposal on a regular basis in order to be successful, just like any sales job. I mean, uh, I know uh, people that sell copiers for crying out loud that are making uh, high seven, uh, high six figures on copy sales, but they are tied into everything. They are networking like crazy. And so I think that uh, there is a, a misnomer, like like Joe said, about what it really takes uh, versus what you really get paid and how you really get paid. What do you get paid to know? What do you get paid to do? Are you paid just to network? Are you paid to know the nuances? What are you really specializing in? And a lot of people think, well, I can just make this an easy second career and part-time, part-time uh, make great money. And that's, that's not the case as all of us know. Yeah. Very, very f small percentage make a, a decent living. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And I was going to mention too, you know, we, we, um, we have for sale by owners that um, may or may not mostly don't understand all of the steps. They don't know, understand all the documents or what they even mean if they do get a hold of the, the disclosures and, and contracts. Um, and there's a reason why I, I forget the stat, say it's 80% of for sale by owner listings end up listing with agent because oh, they yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> realize yeah. Oh, we, we don't know what we don't know, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Most, when, back in the day when I, you know, I went after those deals, okay? And no, 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 no. We're going to sell it ourselves until 
they couldn't. <laughs> it, it would wind up with a realtor. But it's not that I'm knocking, you know, selling your own house. But again, if you got yourself, you know, somebody that knows what they're doing, like an attorney, a real estate attorney, you'd probably be better off selling it yourself and saving yourself some money. But to try and do it yourself, as you say, James, they're not familiar with, you know, all the addendums and everything that has to be done. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could do your own, uh, you know, surgery as well, but I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, you know, uh, back to the analogy I used earlier, you could build your own airplane, but would you really fly in it? Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. All right. Our next news item from Fox Business, loser state. Kevin O'Leary says he will never invest in New York after Trump fraud ruling. He labels New York as a loser state due to its uncompetitive policies and regulations. Are you guys familiar with what's going on there in, in New well, York specifically? I, I never, I never dealt in in New York, but my father had a saying that I'm sure he didn't come up with, I'm sure, but there's always money for a good deal. So regulations or no regulations, uh, there's always money for a good deal. So to say, well, I'm not going to go there because, you know, in any state, say I'm not going to go there because they have such and such regulations, to me, uh, is missing a whole lot of opportunity. Um, as, as, well, again, let's, as long let's as dive into that for a minute, though, Joe. Okay, let's, let's think about what they said. What they said in the ruling was that Trump, and let's take Trump out of it. He's polarizing. Okay. But what they said right. was that the defendant defrauded the banks who were actually the witnesses for the defendant because he inflated his balance sheet. Now, what that's saying okay. is that anybody involved in a transaction that, that, that misrepresents anything, even though all parties in the transaction agree with what re was represented, even though all parties were happy with what was represented, even though all loans were repaid, there is still a opportunity to be prosecuted for fraud. Now, back to your earlier statement about uh, using a lawyer, would you go buy something knowing that even if you and I agreed, we did a seller finance, everything was fine, you wound up selling it to Jim Bob, the whole transaction's concluded. Ten years later, the state of New York comes back and says, Joe, we think you defrauded Shannon and Shannon defrauded uh, Joe Bob, and now we're suing both of you for fraud. Do you still think you got a good deal? No, you wouldn't have had a good deal there. And so that is really the basis of what this ruling is. We've gotten into something where there is a victimless crime. Somebody mm -hmm. did something with their balance sheet. I, uh, you know, we look at this all the time. I have assets that today are worth 20% less than they were two years ago. Now, if I have misrepresented that on my balance sheet two years ago, I could now be under the New York law sued for fraud because what I turned in at the time maybe wasn't entirely accurate. And maybe as the market was falling, because cap rates have adjusted, I haven't adjusted those down. I could now be sued for fraud. And so it's an, it's something that I look at and we look at very broad strokes in markets and go, is that location, is that state, is that city landlord friendly? Are they friendly mm -hmm. to investors? You know, uh, James, you live in Denver. Mm -hmm. Denver is getting increasingly more landlord unfriendly. And you're uh -huh. seeing investors leave that area because the politics behind it, not a Democrat or Republican statement, not a pro-Trump, not a whatever. It's just a statement about, is this friendly to me 
my investors, my banks, my money, and are we going to be able to have something that at the end of the day, we can secure a good return for ourselves for all of our hard work. And I think you're going to see that you're, you're seeing it. New York and California, the West or the left coasts are falling off on investors coming in because the regulatory environment is anti-landlord. It's anti-investor and it's it's not favorable. And when you see unfavorable circumstances, it doesn't matter how good the deal is. There's going to be something that will regulate it into a bad deal because somebody else got the short end of the stick somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's very top of mind for all of us here. Yeah. There's still agreed. deals, but yeah, we have to keep all that in mind. Well, Hey, let's take a break for our next sponsor. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you work within the real estate investing industry. There's another good chance that you would like to increase the sales of your products or services. Well, you're in the right place. United States Real Estate Investor is a platform you need to place your brand directly in front of your target audience. With our focused, growing audience of real estate investing beginners, enthusiasts, and seasoned professionals, you can continually reach our captivated viewers and listeners with ease. To learn more or to get started today, just visit UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. That's UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. Get ready to increase your brand awareness and your bottom line. Attract clients with content. All right, from Benzinga, building a better housing market is the worst over as existing home sales jump in January. What do you guys know? Well, I think this goes back to the supply and demand question, right? We talked yeah. about this earlier. I think that home prices are going to continue to go up until the demand reaches a saturation point. And I know a lot of people were looking at a... $400,000 house a year and a half ago at two and a half percent interest were able to buy that house for a thousand dollars less a month than they are now. So they've adjusted their sites down. People that were looking at buying a, a million dollar home are now looking at a, a $600,000 home. Yep. The people at 600,000 are looking at 300,000. I think people are coming to grips with that reality which means that as long as supply remains constrained for whatever reason, it means that the pool of buyers may be smaller, but it doesn't mean that people aren't buying and selling. Yep. Yeah, I deal with sellers and, and expectations all the time in this market. Um, it's still, it's stabilizing, right? It's just not going through the roof, but there's still limited supply, so... Uh, well, in an the stock market, you know, stock will take off and it will go up 20, 30, 40 percent and then it will hit some sort of a plateau. Maybe it will recede a little bit, but then it'll plateau for a while and then it will begin its upward progress again. Yep. I think we're doing the same thing in real estate. Mm -hmm. yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. I was reading the article. I was talking about home builders, the Toll Brothers experiencing some some positive reactions um they were building building a lot and then kind of backed off but it's still limited supply so they for 2024 a lot of these builders are are still optimistic so 
All right, let's jump to the next news. We'll skip the one uh, we already talked about, the couple that lost $160,000 in, in that fraud case. So, um, oh, and we'll skip the next one, too. It's from Benzinga. Grant Cardone says he'll avoid New York and double down um, in these three states instead. Actually, let's just kind of point out he mentioned uh, concentrating on Texas, Florida, Arizona, and also Tennessee is kind of a fourth option. So are, are you guys operating in any of those four states? No, I'm not. We are in Florida, and we're, uh, we're looking at Tennessee. And I think one of the great things about both of those markets is wages are increasing. Uh, Florida's lagging a little bit, but Tennessee's definitely seeing wage increase. Uh, and those are great opportunities to invest because as investors, uh, you're looking for the opportunity to grow your wealth uh, through increase in rents. And as the rents increase, your asset becomes worth more. So looking at that, uh, that's just that just seems like an economic statement. Yep. All right, let's go to the next one from Benzinga again. Uh, Atlanta converts shipping containers to multifamily housing to help solve homelessness crisis. Get that out of my mouth. <clears throat> There's a, a housing initiative and a, a, a complex called the Melody based on a gal named Melody Bloodworth that was a victim of the city's homelessness. And so they're, um, they've got a 40-unit affordable housing community downtown and uh, it's the first step towards 500 units, apparently. So uh, it's said also, you know, they'll include air conditioning. So they're not turning into a hot box in Atlanta. Can you imagine living in a shipping container in Atlanta without AC? <laughs> um, we also get free Wi-Fi and laundry. So <laughs> I, I, I. Go ahead, Shannon. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Joe. I've been hogging the farm conversation. No, no, no. It's okay. I, it's just I'm having trouble with living in a shipping container. I just I didn't read that until just now. I kind of <laughs> went over my head there. Well, yeah. and I I've actually seen there's been uh, several attempts at that here in our local market, and I've just watched where I, I understand the the need to recycle, and I understand that shipping containers are a ready source of that. But the other thing that I've seen is like Joe said, it's really hard to make it not look like a shoebox. It's really hard to change it from something other than what it is. And then the cost to retrofit isn't completely inexpensive. And so what a lot of people find is that it winds up costing real close to the same amount and it's still ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Yeah, I, was wondering I, would, that. I would totally agree with that. I, I just have trouble with a shipping container. I don't know why. I, sh I shouldn't if they can make it livable, but yeah. it just it, it's a distant thing for me. I, I don't understand where this supply of all these shipping containers comes from. I mean, they're bomber. <laughs> like You think they could use them for 100 years before they need to retire them. So well, the thing that I've heard with that is it's not so much – uh, that, but you ship them over here from China where they're manufactured, they're shipped from China, they're shipped from India, and then we're not shipping anything out. So then what do you do? Do you pay yeah. to ship them back? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think uh, in a lot of cases, uh, the things we get here in the States, the container is full of things that cost a lot less than the shipping to get right. here. Yeah. But the, 
they've got to get the ships back. So you'd think they'd just have them loaded up with <laughs> empty containers, less weight. I, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to dive into that a little bit. Um, all right, let's jump into our final fun news item. Uh, people are from Unilad. People are just realizing they could buy a tiny home from Amazon for $20,000 and they say it's worth it. I think if that's your option. <laughs> yeah. Joe doesn't like a shipping container. I don't know that he's going to like one from Amazon. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've seen some of these, uh, some of these mini homes. Uh, my background, guys, I, I live in old houses. I like them. The one I'm sitting in right now is uh, 119 years old. The one I was in prior was almost 250 years old. It was a gatehouse. I'm used to little areas, so tiny houses don't bother me. I, I and and they're laid out very well. I don't. I. I you know, I, I kind of like the tiny houses uh, concept because they um, they're they're good looking for the, the ones I've seen. Or they're good looking. Um, now you don't you know you, you can't have a lot of children in there and so forth because you'd be all over each other. But I think you're better in a shipping container, at least uh, looking at it that way. And um, uh, you know they seem to be priced right. And uh, as long as you can live in a small space. I, I know what that's like, so I don't have a problem with it. They're, they're pretty nice. I kind of like them, uh, to be honest with you. I like the concept. Well, and Joe, uh, if you probably don't remember this, and, and uh, James and I definitely don't, but Sears and Roebuck used to sell houses too, right? So, I mean, isn't Amazon just the new Sears and Roebuck? I mean, you used to be able to go and order a house, and it'd send you all the parts and pieces. I mean, obviously, some assembly required, but I think the yeah. Amazon house isn't going to come fully assembled. Why not? And I'm old. I ain't that old. I don't remember that one. That's, that's, what, that's what I said, right? Uh, yeah. No, I, you know, if you gotta if you gotta put it together or whatever, and you can do that, I go for it. I don't think it's a bad concept. Tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, heck, you can buy three of them for, like, median home price. It says in the article, four hundred thirteen thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> you can you could have an in-law house right next to yours. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds like a terrible yeah. idea at any price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, tell me this, guys. Like, you can you can buy a box like that to live in, but what are the logistics of getting all the utilities in um, to multiple different? You know, you can't just throw it on some land, you have to have water and sewer and electricity, right? Um, I have never bought one, so I, I, yeah. can't, I can't answer that one for you. I never bought one, but it is something you would have to manage, I'm quite sure. Right, yeah. So it's if you have one just on raw land, you got to deal with that. They're building tiny home communities, Yeah. so you, you have to get all those utilities in and, and to those separate units. Um, well, I assume somebody uh, owns all that ground and they're yeah. going to improve it so that you can bring your tiny house there. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't deal in tiny houses, but I would assume that would that would be the way that those small communities would work. Yeah, Similar they're just to... shrinking everything. The phone used to be big, the computers used to be big, the cars and trucks used to be big. So did the houses. Now we're just yeah. making them smaller and closer together. Yep. I guess these tiny home community communities are no different, really. Than mobile home parks, right? Oh, thank you. Uh, yep. Well, they're no different than any community. It's just a small house. Yeah, it's just kind of putting you know, 
different lipstick on them. <laughs> Shit. So, well, guys, this was awesome. Um, appreciate you being on the on the show. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors, United States Real Estate Investing and Hybrid Real Estate Investing. Um, unfortunately, Ta uh, Paul Beats couldn't show up, but uh, Joe and Shannon, it was great to have you guys on. Um, why don't you let people know how they connect can connect with you if, uh, if you'd like. Okay, well, I'll go first real fast. If, if uh, there are those of you out there that are looking to get involved in real estate, uh, creative real estate, you can reach me at joe at realestatementoringusa.com. At joe at realestatementoringusa.com. Be happy to talk to you uh, if you have an interest in learning how to, how to invest in real estate the creative way. And I'm Shannon Robnett, and you can find me at shannonrobnett.com. Uh, from there, you can access my calendar. Uh, we can set up a meeting. We can chat. I've got some mentoring courses on there. I've got some uh, videos. You can see some of our past investments. You can learn all about what we do. All of our social media handles are there as well. That's just shannonrobnett.com. And James, I want to say thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for hanging in there, guys. I want to say thank you as well, James. Thank you very much. It was nice meeting you, Simon, as well. Yep, you too, Joe. Cool. Hang on, guys. Um, so we stopped the recording. Uh, again, I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe, secure returns through our unique time-tested hybrid investing model. Uh, go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more. Add the www if it doesn't pop up. Also, huge thanks to our stand-in producer and my business partner, Toby Hansen, for running the show in the background. Follow and subscribe to This Month in Real Estate Investing on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at United States REI or your favorite podcast app. If you run across any interesting news events or good guest suggestions, feel free to share by emailing Antonio at United States Real Estate Investor.com. And remember, when one door closes, another door opens to financial freedom. Thanks, guys. <laughs>